0: Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles.
1: That move, of Give me everything you got!
2: Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's quarter time. It's quarter time. go! Touchdown!
3: You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. Bye.
0: That's right. Another week, we've got the final game of the year as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 299. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Ben Fennell about the Eagles, their loss this past week against Dallas, the Week 17 matchup against Washington, some scheme themes to hit on right at the top of the show, um, but... It's not the end because I also caught up with Eagles rookie wide receiver, Quez Watkins. I talked to him late last week before the team's game down in Dallas, but I want you guys to hear that conversation. We talked about his background and just what it's like coming into the league with a couple of rookies at his side. So we'll talk all about that with Quez here at the end of the show. Before we get there, though, a couple of things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, as a quick reminder, the best way to help us out is to go on Apple Podcasts, Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. If you leave a question, I'll answer it. And guess what? If you guys want topics that are covered here on the show throughout the offseason, if you've got a question about anything, I will go and find a guest to come and sit and talk with me about that subject. We can create a whole episode around it. So if you've got ideas, if you've got topics that you want me to hit on if you've got requests you know where to go go to our apple podcast page leave it in the comment section and i will be sure to hit on it here over the next few months also if you enjoy my conversation with ben here each and every week then make sure you go and subscribe to the journey to the draft podcast it's that time of year right the eagles uh, are out of the playoffs so i think a lot of fans at home are now getting their eyes to the offseason not just what's going to happen with this current eagles team but Also, who are the guys that are coming down the pipeline here with the NFL Draft? The Eagles appear to be picking here in the top seven, eight, nine of the draft, depending on how things go later this weekend. But we are covering every single big-name prospect, and all the guys you need to know on Day 2 and Day 3 as well. Make sure you go check that out on the Journey to the Draft podcast, wherever podcasts can be found. And I've said it numerous times over the last few weeks. My favorite segment on that show has been the Scout Story segment, and it's a new segment here this year. And every week, I welcome a member of the Eagle scouting staff to come on and talk about a current Eagle and just give their memories of scouting them coming out of college. And then we talk big picture takeaways from that position or from that scouting report. Well, this week, I talked with Eagle Southwest Area Scout Sean Heinlein to talk about Darius Slay and get his thoughts on him when he came out of Mississippi State back in 2013. Here's what Sean had to say from the Journey to the Draft podcast. Well, joining us once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, Eagles Southwest area scout Sean Heinlein. Sean, thanks so much for joining us once again, man.
2: Thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: So let's talk about Eagles corner, Darius Slay. You know, I remember when he was coming out of Mississippi State, um, it was him and Jonathan Banks, the two corners uh, you know, for the Bulldogs that year. And they were both really, really talented. I mean, interested to kind of get your memories on uh, scouting Slay, and I guess it, Banks too, because it almost was like not a package deal. But since they were both so talented, uh, you couldn't talk about one without the other. Memories on, on kind of evaluating him and projecting him to the league.
2: Right, that was the thing when you went in there. Banks was the, the high-rated guy that everyone was wanting because he had such high production going into that final season. Um, so you're really anticipating going in and seeing this guy, and then you walk out on the practice field and you watch Slay move around. You're like. Holy cow! Who was this kid? He, he takes <laughs> your eye because he was a much better athlete in scouts' eyes. He was just so fluid. I mean, obviously, he had great size for a corner. Um, showed ball skills and practice. You're like, holy cow, because he had come from junior college, so he wasn't really on the radar. Like like Banks, who had put together a couple of years in SEC play. Um, so Slay kind of just popped some eyes when he walked out there on the field. Of hey, we we got to do some more digging here. There's more than just one guy.
0: How hard is that to do? I should I should say how hard is that to do? But you do almost like have to try hard to not get suckered into like all right, like I know I'm coming in to watch this guy, then not get tunnel vision on just that one player and not miss out on oh by the way, there's another blue chip guy right across the field.
2: Right, um, not so much. I mean, you you expect to have some surprises at the SEC schools for sure. Mm. I mean, there's guys that are backups that um, end up playing for a long time. In the NFL, Ron Brooks, who we you know drafted in Buffalo and came to Philadelphia. He only started a couple of games at all at LSU, but was a productive player when he played. And so you kind of expect that there's going to be guys, there's going to be surprises. Um, So you want to keep your eye open for all those guys. Uh, Because, again, sometimes they slip through the cracks for a little bit, especially coming from a junior college or something like that. They just haven't found their footing yet. Major college football. That's all.
0: I feel like one big topic that a lot of people will bring up, especially when we talk about banks versus Slay, was like, and uh, it's not really a black and white discussion. Is like traits versus production. Uh, you know, in the scouting world, like, uh, how do you guys talk about that? How how is that kind of discussed uh, amongst you and your peers?
2: Again, it comes down to a thing of like potential. Like, where is this guy projected to be in a couple years? Um, with banks, I mean, you mean, because of his traits and his production that he had in the SEC, you, you kind of already knew what he was going to be going into it. With with Darius, it was more of where is he going to be in a couple of years? Because he's just getting his feet underneath him, coming from junior college, finally getting to start Mississippi State, um, putting together the production he did that that senior year. You know, it was, it was again the projection of where is he going to be once he works on his technique, once he becomes more refined at the position. How good is this guy going to become? Like, will the production follow the development? It'd be the big thing.
0: I mean, he obviously goes on to become a big play slayer that we all know and love. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Sean, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon, man.
2: Thanks, Brian. Do the same.
0: So that was that whole segment uh, with Sean. Hope you guys enjoyed that, uh, you know, and my takeaways as well uh, from that uh, exchange. I think overall, when you look at the evaluation of Darius Slay, certainly a really fun one and a good case study uh, since he came out the same year as Jonathan Banks, who was a much bigger name throughout that pre-draft process. But make sure you go check out the Journey to the Draft podcast. Those interviews happen, those segments happen every single week over there on that show, and we do two episodes a week. So hope you guys uh, have enjoyed that. Make sure you go and subscribe wherever podcast can be found. All right. Talking about journey of the draft. Let's talk with the guy who is on every single episode of that show with me. That's Ben Fennel. We're going to dive into our chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, joining me once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, my friend Ben Fennel. And Ben, uh, first of all, Happy New Year, man. We got our uh, our last, I guess. Regular season version of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast with uh, you and myself kind of talking through an upcoming game. And we'll talk about some specific schemes that not just impact this matchup, but even looking back to last week against Dallas.
3: Yeah. Happy New Year to you as well. Are you looking to extend 2020 for a couple more weeks here? Is that what you're asking for?
0: Uh, that's not really in the cards, but we'll, uh, <laughs> I think we'll think we're all it. ready
3: to turn the page on 2020. So. It's crazy. We're already uh, heading into week 17 yep. and uh, should have a pretty interesting slate of playoff games with our first ever seven playoff teams on each
0: side of the conference. So uh, kind of exciting times ahead. No, no question. So um, real quick, as we usually do, I mean, we put together Eagles game plan this week with a different kind of spin. And honestly, this episode uh, of the show, the podcast, will have a little bit of a different spin, too. But uh, with Eagles game plan this week, we didn't want to spend too much time looking at this matchup for Week 17 against Washington, right? We want to take more big picture, kind of looking at the state of this team, the state of the roster, going into the offseason 2021 and beyond. And so uh, that first block, all about the Eagles' offense. Obviously, we talk about the quarterback picture, uh, what Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts both bring, and uh, the decision that the Eagles will have to make here, or potentially have to make, uh, moving forward over the next couple of months. We also touched on Jalen Rager, um, the impact that he can have. I know that Greg uh, is a huge, huge fan of Jalen Rager, going back to his days at TCU. He saw a lot of potential from him this year. Uh, So I wanted to give him a segment uh, to kind of talk through Jalen Rager. Defensively, we focused in uh, on Darius Slay. We focused in on Brandon Graham as well. But a segment I wanted to bring up to you real quick was my last uh, segment to kind of wrap the show up. And that was all about the idea of player development. And, And we talked, I did a segment that was kind of focused in on Josh Sweat and looking back throughout his career, you know, him coming out of Florida State. I mean, he was still kind of a, a moldable ball of clay. I know he was a big time recruit, and you know he was in mock drafts—you know, first, second round pick potentially going into his junior year—but not a finished product. And obviously, he had the knee injury too, and that affected it. But I thought early on in his career, we saw that guy. He was—he was still a little bit raw, kind of figuring things out. Second year, we started to see flashes. I remember seeing you know preseason games. We would show a play here or a play there. Where it's like, all right, like here's a sign of what he can be. And then just here this year in year three, you're starting to see it really come together. And he turned into a really important player for this Eagles defense. And so I I thought it was big for us to be able to kind of hit on that topic, the idea of player development. Not every guy is going to come in and be ready made to contribute from day one. A lot of these guys, you've got to give time to be able to develop and reach that ceiling.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And he was a bit of a raw prospect coming in, uh, very toolsy, obviously had a bit of a knee injury as well towards the end of his college career into the NFL. It probably set back his ability to contribute right away and probably set back his ability to be a higher draft capital player. Uh, But he certainly had the upside being that talented player out of high school everybody wanted but he's only been a part-time player with the Eagles in his young three-year career. And he was about 35% play time last year. This year he's cranked that up to about 43, 45% really on that second unit of the defensive line. And he's provided exactly what you want. That instant pressure, instant production, anytime he's on the field and to watch him ascend. And he's actually a very technical player and we love watching him and his first step get off his hand usage, his counter moves, Obviously that infectious style of the defensive line of the entire Eagles always hustling and flowing to the football. Now it's that cat and mouse on. Can we increase the play time and still get that production? Can he play 60, 70%, maybe be a starter and still get this level of production? Or will that come at the expense of maybe not being as fresh? Those second unit guys for the Eagles, always very valuable. They always like to play pretty much seven, eight deep across the board. So having that third, fourth defensive end is valuable. And I think Josh Sweat has really done a good job in filling that role.
0: I think it's a really good point. And it's something that uh, I'm sure we will discuss a lot here as we get into this offseason. So uh, Josh Sweat, a player that did not play this past week against Dallas. But I want to quickly kind of get your thoughts uh, on the game. Obviously, a pivotal loss for the Eagles, eliminating them from playoff contention here for 2020. Um Big picture takeaways from your end. We obviously, I, I gave my thoughts on Monday with Greg. We heard Greg's thoughts. Uh, interested to kind of get your thoughts uh, after you came away watching the film.
3: Well, you know, I, I felt the game just took on so many different tones. And I remember sitting there watching the game with you and after the first two drives, looking at each other and feeling pretty good. And the first quarter went really well and they marched right down the field with the methodical drive. Then the explosive play touchdown, which you love to see those quick strike drives as well. We looked at each other and we were sitting pretty and then things got away from you and the rookie quarterback uh, kind of had some rookie mistakes and some rookie like play, which is expected. And the lead slowly got away from them and it really took on a different tone in the second half. They got away from some things conceptually, Uh, but you had the highs and lows of a rookie quarterback and that's kind of the live wire week to week life of rookie, rookie, you know, signal callers. You may get an upset special against us. You know, playoff caliber team like the Saints, and you might lose some games to some lesser teams like the Cowboys that you probably should have won uh, and blowing a lead and things like that. So uh, there was certainly a lot of good to take away. There were some big plays on both sides of the ball. It was a fun game to watch back on tape because of that. Um, But I just felt like collectively watching it back, it just took on a lot of different kind of tones throughout.
0: So let's go into uh, some of the things that we did see and uh, a play that we broke down. I thought it was really fun, you know, going back. You mentioned watching the film uh, on Monday morning because that while it was overall a negative game, there were a lot of really positive things to take away from it. And I thought early on, as you mentioned, we saw some really good things from the Eagles offense. And the, the play that ended that first drive, the touchdown run by Miles Sanders, it kind of hit me like a bolt of lightning as we were watching it, man, because it was, it was basically – I mean, it wasn't anything crazy in terms of the structure. We see teams run these kinds of plays a lot where you've got the jet action with the, the you know run blocking up front, and you basically had two linemen pulling from the left. The Eagles had some kind of a read element on the play where the backside defensive ends unblocked. So Jalen Hurts is reading that backside end, but you had the, the defense expanded horizontally because of the jet. You had blockers coming from left to right. They're down in the low red zone, and I'm watching this saying, like, I've seen this pattern, this motion pattern before. I've seen this develop. This looks just like the Eagles shovel pass that we've seen for years and years and years under Andy Reid, and it was just kind of fun. Those kinds of things pop up to you and I while we're watching film all the time, and I thought it was a really kind of fun way to break down one of the biggest plays I mean, you could even go back
3: game. a couple more decades Let's get a seal here and a seal here. What are we trying to do, Fran? Right. We're trying to create an alley for the ball carrier to get through. Yep. And sometimes you have to break it down just a more of a human nature. We're trying to create an alley. So how do we do that? If you can influence and stretch the one side and maybe seal the back side, that's going to create that crease. And when we watch certain things from a conceptual lens, we immediately reflect back to other concepts that do the same thing. Completely different play Design, but conceptually trying to attack and manipulate the defense the same way by creating a running path or an alley by moving front side defenders, you know, wide and horizontal width, and then sealing that backside lane. And you could kind of already see the visual of what I'm describing. Move your right hand to the right, seal off your left hand. And that's where we're trying to run that ball right between your palms right there. That's all football is, you know, it's just a game of chess. And it's really fun to watch different play designs attack defenses through the same, you know, conceptual uh, philosophy.
0: I mean, Chip Kelly used to say this and he was exactly right. He used to say it in press conferences all the time. that, like, you know, what, what we're doing offensively is not like new. I mean, we, unless you're, you're you're stealing something from coaches that coached years and years ago. There's only so many ways you can use, you know, five blockers and five eligible receivers. It's a matter you're going to dress it up differently and make it look a little different. But uh, everybody is essentially working in the same sandbox. And so um, always fun to come when you could kind of make those realizations for you and I. We're not coaches, right? So we, we we don't have that breadth of knowledge that we can input. But for us to be able to have that that moment, I think, was, was pretty cool. And it was fun uh, to kind of share that with the, uh, with the listeners. If you haven't gone uh, seen that yet, go make sure you go check out um, whether it's on Twitter at Eagles XO's, or you can go uh, to the full film breakdown that I put up on the Eagles YouTube page. You can go check that out. That's uh, up right now. So you can go uh, watch that play. It was a really cool visual comparing that play to the shovel pass of the Eagles fame. But um, you know, one big theme that you and I noticed early on was that the Eagles clearly tried to come out, run the ball. We saw lots of Jalen hurts under center we also saw a lot of pistol. And you know, we were as we we're watching, we're like, man, like they're definitely running more pistol right now uh in this game than we've seen all season long. And at the end of the day, it ended up being that way. They had six snaps of the pistol on Sunday, only five in the previous 15 weeks. So uh I want to just ask you now if you could just break break it down for listeners, what is the pistol and what are the pros and cons of the pistol uh based on how you see it? So the pistol
3: is a shotgun set with a still single back running back behind the shotgun quarterback. So there's certain runners that aren't side saddle runners is what we call them. So the shotgun-based formations that take over Saturdays and Sundays, typically you have a running back next to that quarterback. That's what we call side saddle running. So rarely ever are you able to build up momentum into attacking the line of scrimmage. You're right next to the quarterback. You're obviously taking that handoff from more of a static position as opposed to being behind the quarterback and approaching the line of scrimmage with a head of steam or momentum. There are certain running backs that excel with that runway and that momentum. These are a lot of gap scheme backs, a lot of point of entry backs or runway backs. We had a couple here in Philly. Garrett Blount is one that comes to mind. And in the backfield on these pistol sets, who is it often? Jordan Howard. His style is also a point of entry, downhill momentum style of running back. And if you remember, Fran, this was one of those conceptual arguments we had in the Chip Kelly era on whether DeMarco Murray – was excelling in the side saddle running style or whether he needed that momentum into the line of scrimmage. So it's always uh, you know, different styles and different strokes for different backs are, you know, obviously better suited for their skill sets. But It allows that back to still come downhill. You can have more of a downhill rushing attack. The quarterback can still turn his back to the defense and implement bootleg-style action off of that downhill running game as opposed to shotgun-based runs. It's much harder to get that bootleg out of the run scheme. But So there's a couple things conceptually that it does for you. Um, But it was interesting to see them obviously make a concerted effort with the six times using it. We have to remember they also did some other things conceptually that were a little bit different. They used motion 19 times on the game. 14 were in the first half when they were really committing to that run game. Wow. And I thought it really opened up a lot of running lanes. And just from a human nature standpoint, which I love just to break down because this game's so complicated and convoluted. You just saw the linebackers thinking on the second level. They try to address, adjust, adjust that they're late getting alignments, gaps are voided, all of a sudden they're hesitating. And then that's all you need in the NFL that half a step that half a second and you're at a position. So to see you know the pistol elements in combination with the motion in combination with the commitment to the run game that offense was really clicking in that first half I was really happy to see uh, some of those schematic elements.
0: Yeah, I thought we saw some really good things. And obviously, look, yeah, things kind of got away from them, obviously, right? I mean, they, no points in the second half. Uh, you had four turnovers, essentially, a turnover of downs and three turnovers uh, in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, really, some of those negative plays really kind of put them behind the sticks, whether it was a sack on early downs or just brutal penalties to take. I mean, you get that Darius Slay interception and you get the ball inside the 35-yard line and unable to get points off that because penalties put you out of position. And once they had to get into the just a regular drop back pass game, that's really where, you know, look, and Jalen Hurts did not play well. So he was unable to execute consistently uh, out of those kinds of sets and, you know, kind of eliminating all of their looks from their mind from the pre snap motion element uh, of what was working in the first half. So, um, you know, just an unfortunate turn of events uh, in the final two and a half quarters, three and a half quarters uh, of this game. But uh, as we know, the Eagles did lose. And I want to go over to the defensive side. And I mentioned the Darius lay interception. I'll start there with you. Uh, This happened relatively late. I think it was one of the last plays of the third quarter came from a type of zone coverage that uh, we get, we broke down, we break down all the time. And it's tough to, because we've seen it a lot over the last couple of years and we never know if we look at this as more of a two high coverage or of a one high coverage. And there's lots of different ways to kind of break this down. And we, without getting too much into the, into the weeds here, Basically what we saw from Darius Slay is that he's dropping back and either he's dropping into the deep third or into the deep half, but either way he had two vertical routes running right at him, both from the number one receiver and from the number two receiver. And he had to kind of split the difference. He couldn't play one or the other. He had to make sure he covered both playing in zone coverage, eyes on the quarterback makes the play. Take us through what you saw from that play and just how Slay was able to finish on the football for the turnover.
3: Yeah. And just to break it down for fans. The single high safety now, what we're seeing across the league the last two and three years, is he's starting to play much more shallow. And he's taking away crossing routes in the middle of the field, which have been generating explosive plays across the NFL for about 10 years now. Heavy run action, crossing routes, over routes, seam routes, trying to get guys behind the linebackers in the second level. Defenses have now adjusted and say, you know what? They're not throwing the deep post anymore in the NFL. Let's put that single high free safety in a more shallow position and let him take away crossing routes. So that's the coverage we're now seeing And Fran's describing, whether it's cover three invert or invert Tampa two or whatever you want to call it, that deep post player is trying to take away crossing routes. So what that does then the corners on the outside, either have to compensate for that player coming downhill. And a lot of times you now see cornerbacks having to drift and replace the post like we saw Seymour do. I think the week before, unfortunately, Deandre Hopkins made a great catch, but seeing that corner drift from the backside and replace the post is what you're seeing everywhere across the NFL now, because they're allocating the resource of the single high safety to take away intermediate crossing routes nowadays. This is what the Eagles did on this play. Marcus Epps is sitting there at about 12, 14 yards. So the vertical routes on the outside, Darius Slay now needs to drift and play over both verticals, the number one receiver and the number two receiver. CeeDee Lamb was the number two. He drifted over him just enough as Andy Dalton thought he had that seam down the post as Epps was a little shallow. And Slay was in great position to drive on the throw, make a real competitive play at the catch point and rip the ball away from CeeDee Lamb. That actually seemed a little surprised to have a corner over his back there because I think he thought he had the the post voided. So uh, really nicely done and nicely executed concept there. But just breaking down why that safety is suddenly leaving the post in the NFL and trying to allocate to an area that's been exposed so much more.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of people are quick to to crush that coverage. You know, I think it's kind of a running joke on Twitter over the last couple of years. It's like, oh, that's the invert two again. Uh, there it is, a big play down the field. But, Fran,
3: every defensive coordinator each offseason says to their, uh, you know, their QAs and their assistants, give me a heat map of explosive plays generated. Yep. And over the last 10 years, that heat map started to get more and more red over the deep middle intermediate part of the field. Yep. So, what do coordinators do? Erase the whiteboard and say, how do we figure out this area? So it's always the point-counterpoint,
0: the cause, the effect, and this is the effect. And it's a, and it, a, in the past, a lot of teams would try and do that by playing Tampa 2 with that Mike Linebacker dropping. This is essentially the same idea, except instead of that being a Mike Linebacker dropping in reverse, you have a safety who now is maintaining vision on the quarterback the whole way, coming from depth. And now you're just having to replace those safeties with the corners rotating to the deep part of the field. And it's all
3: circular. So what's been now happening over the last year and two.
1: The our in
3: the middle of the field. return of the deep <laughs> post. So it's all cyclical. It all comes back full circle and that's the beautiful nature of the NFL.
0: And it's like what we just, we talked about at the top and talking in terms of like that shovel pass and things that there's only so many ways you can use 11 players. So it's a matter of how you try and use them uh, to find the
3: defenses want to get small to get faster. Okay. We're going to get bigger and attack that small vulnerability. And when we get, you know, suddenly the defense beefs back up, we're going to get small again. And it's always going to be that ebb and yep. flow. And that's the great competitive nature of these coaches.
0: And I think a, a similar kind of discussion can be made just about like, you know, the, the Eagles game plan coming into this. Look, they knew they were shorthanded, right? You know, you're coming into the game. No, Josh Sweat, no Derek Barnett. Fletcher Cox gets dinged up early in the game. So you're you're limited up front in terms of your the bodies that you had. And then you're also, you've got injuries in the secondary. You know, we know no, no McLeod, no Maddox. You come in uh, hurt in the secondary. So they come in. And early on, we saw a lot of different blitzes. We saw a blitz that has worked numerous times for them over the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, with the the, uh, the edge pressure, two defensive backs coming off the corner, defensive tackles dropping out. That has worked for them for sacks, for interceptions over the last couple of weeks. This week, Andy Dalton dialed up the perfect play. You know, was knew exactly where to go with the football against that blitz. And there were other cover zero looks. No matter what kind of pressure they dialed up, Andy Dalton, veteran quarterback, knew where to go with the football. So I, I guess, again, it go, kind of goes to that uh, that we were talking about, that cat and mouse game. There are pluses and minuses to everything. I, I think a lot of Eagles fans say, oh, you know, I want to see more blitz. I want to see more blitz. I want to see more blitz. Well, you know, the Eagles blitzed early in this game. Dallas found a way to burn the blitz. Then the Eagles dialed it back a little bit, and they you know found, all right, they're going to play man-to-man coverage. All right, now we're going to find ways to be able to beat man-to-man. You're always having that cat and mouse game with the offense.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some of those same exact blitzes were successful in prior weeks. And sometimes it's just a subtle change or a subtle difference in how you want to, you know, maybe disguise those pre-snap, how they rotate over their post-snap, how quarterbacks respond to it is going to change on a week-to-week basis. So while you say it was great one week, why are we blitzing? We got burnt on it there's different scenarios and different execution points every week. And, you know, whether it's that cat blitz from Michael Jaquette that was successful the previous two weeks and all of a sudden we disguised it a little bit more. So that means the post snap rotation is that much more aggressive. And that kind of burnt us as Andy Dalton was able to hit Michael Gallup on that little slant against that same exact concept. Um, so there's certainly vulnerabilities. And if the offense executes, it's really easy to say, well, why did we do that? because it worked previously. And it's just really fun to go through the pros and cons and strengths and weaknesses. Um, Same thing with the CD lamb catch over the middle on third and medium, we ran cover zero. We've been effective in cover zero. We tried to disguise it a little bit too much. Marcus Epps was a little bit too deep. Andy Dalton, veteran quarterback, knows how to diagnose and assess blitz, got the ball out immediately, six yards on third and five. And that's all it takes sometimes.
0: No question. So, uh, look, a lot to take away from this game. We'll be back here next week in this segment to break down uh, a little bit more with this Eagles season. And I got a little bit of a treat as well for you. I think we'll uh, we'll, we'll do a little bit looking around at some of the Eagles opponents as well uh, from the 2020 campaign. Until then, Ben, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. Experience the fastest internet and more in a snap. With Xfinity x X-Fi, you get the speed, coverage, control, and security you need for the ultimate in-home Wi-Fi experience. Xfinity, proud partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Great stuff from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter just like I do, at BenFennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here at Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show, but the other way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Give us a rating and leave us a comment. And I want to give a shout-out today to someone who did just that. Coach48 left a five-star review saying, what a block, my a as block as how Quez Watkins scored. He ends up downfield and stops the defender from getting the tackle. That was huge. Obviously, that was after the Eagles' loss in Week 15 to the Arizona Cardinals. And then he went on to talk about Jalen Hurts and some of his struggles in that game and, you know, basically brought up, I didn't want to go through the entire comment, but basically wanted to go through how, is there a double standard in how we are we are evaluating Jalen versus how we were evaluating Carson? And I think it's a valid argument to bring. And I think it's it's fair to look at ourselves from an analysis standpoint. And while we're watching, whether it's fans, media, the one thing you do have to consider, obviously, is that. Jalen Hurts is a rookie. He's making his first couple starts. This is part of playing a rookie quarterback. You're going to go through these growing pains. Was this past week, and I think you could say this about this past week against Dallas. It was not a great performance. I said it earlier with Ben. He did not have his best game. He played worse than he did the previous week against Arizona. And you mentioned in that game you saw uh, the safety for sure. He missed some throws in that game. He also made some big plays uh, in that game. So, look, there are going to be positives. There are going to be negatives. Every rookie quarterback goes through these kinds of things. Uh, you know, So you're going to see that. So it's a matter of how they fight through that. How do they handle that adversity? From the outside looking in, it looks like Jalen is handling that adversity well. Uh, you, I, I always, I've been kind of taken aback over the last two weeks on these losses. And he actually said it after the Dallas loss that he takes it personally. And you could tell even after the Arizona game. I think a lot of the people in the media were really ready to love him up for everything that he did. I mean, he threw for over three hundred yards, and you know what he? I mean, he made some impressive throws in that loss to Arizona. But, I mean, he looked extremely upset afterwards. And this is a guy that is not accustomed to losing throughout his high school and college career, whether he was at Alabama or Oklahoma. He won a ton of games. And so uh, just seeing him take that loss, I, I thought that speaks to the way that he has handled the adversity. But no one knows that better than the coaches and the people that are working with him each and every day. So they've got more information than we do from that respect. But, look, at the end of the day, yes, you, you do have to look at that and say, uh, where are the areas that he needs to get better? Obviously, it was not perfect. You're never as good as people think. You're never as bad as people think. So, uh, And I think that, that works for both of these guys. when We're talking about Carson Wentz and with Jalen Hurts. Look, the, the Eagles, are, they're going to have a big decision to make here coming in the next few weeks, um, the next few months. So I, I think ultimately uh, we're going to let this play out and we'll see exactly uh, how this p- progresses here uh, in the coming months. But uh, Coach 48, really appreciate that. Thanks for leaving that comment over on our Apple Podcast page. And you mentioned uh, that Quez Watkins touchdown. Ironically enough, I talked with Quez late last week before the Eagles trip down to Dallas. We talked about that play. We talked about uh, just his arrival here in the NFL. Let's get to that interview right now. Well, welcome into our one-on-one interview. Excited to be joined here by rookie wide receiver Quez Watkins. Quez, thanks for joining me, man. How you doing? Thanks for having I'm me. I'm doing great, man. So let, let's get into your background as a receiver. How long have you been playing uh, football? When did you first start?
1: Uh, I started when I was four years old. Um, I had friends and our brothers and stuff that was actually older than me and that was playing, and I couldn't play. So um, in order for me to play, I had to be in school. So actually, I started school early to play football. So um, really football has been all me. Football has been my life.
0: Were you, were you always the fastest kid? Uh, is that how you first made your mark?
1: Um, I can't say that because I was always competing to be who was the fastest growing up. And um, sometimes I win, sometimes the next person to win. But um, I knew I always can be my brother. So that was the only person I was worried about. <laughs> so if I went faster than him, I went fast enough.
0: There you go. Uh, what other sports did you guys play growing up?
1: Um, when I was younger, I played um, basketball and baseball, but um, as I got to high school, it was only uh, football and basketball.
0: Did you, when you played baseball and basketball, was football always your love, or did you love one of those other two sports as a kid first?
1: Actually, um, I started loving basketball more as I got, got to high school, and then when I got my first football offer, I converted back to football, and I was like, yeah, I think that was like my junior year of high school. So really, I I kind of I had a passion for basketball. I just felt like I was I was too short to play in the NBA, so I guess football <laughs> it was.
0: That seems to be like the resounding thing from guys that uh, played basketball growing up. It's like, once I realized I stopped growing, all right, I'm gonna just shift my attention uh, yeah. more towards football. W- what was your game in basketball?
1: Um, I was really a point guard. I was a floor general. And, okay. um, but as I got to my senior year, I kind of started playing the four, started having to do play more, you know, everywhere, honestly, uh, because everybody got shorter, and I'm still, I'm the tallest, but I'm still short, so I had to play the big man role.
0: And you had that leaping ability for sure. You mentioned your first offer. What was that that first offer? What was that recruiting process for, like, how did you end up at Southern Miss?
1: My first offer actually was Southern Miss. Um, I want to say they called me after a basketball game. Uh, They came and saw me play and just saw my athleticism, and uh, they offered me at the basketball game, and uh, I really wasn't sure about Southern Miss because, um, you know, when I went, the stadium, uh, the scenery, it was just, it was different. And being in Mississippi, I kind of didn't want to be that close to home. But um, as I start talking to the coaches and everybody more, it just started becoming family. But um, my recruiting process, it wasn't as big as, you know, a lot of other guys. I kind of had a uh, majority of the comfort of the USA, so it was really pick and choose between there.
0: So I talked with your former head coach, Jay Hobson, after the draft, and one of the things he told me, I said, what's something that stands out about Quez on the field? And he said, honestly, I can't think of a time where he was even with the defender and it was an even race and he got caught from behind. Do you feel like that's fair to say uh, from the four years that that you spent down there with the Golden Eagles?
1: Definitely. I I cannot let nobody catch me. (laughs) I can't let nobody be even with me either.
0: That's fair. That's fair. So, take us through when you first get there. You you played relatively early. What, how did you grow as a receiver? And when do you feel like the light kind of went on for you? And what helped you get to that point?
1: Uh, really, growing as a freshman, been around um, all the older guys and stuff like that. Really, just learning from what they did and their mistakes. And um, I kind of it gave me an opportunity to grow faster because everybody that was around was like probably already twenty one years old, twenty two years old probably got a kid or whatever, and I'm just this, you know, 18-year-old, so I had to grow faster. And um, when it was my turn that my redshirt freshman year, I stepped up, and um, everybody really pushed me. Everybody pushed me to the max.
0: So, I mean, you had that speed right away. How did you learn how to harness that and use that to your advantage, where you're just like, look, I'm not going to be able to just straight up run by everybody. What was it that kind of helped you along from the the, more of the nuances at the position?
1: Um, Honestly, I think I was completely raw talent all the way until my last last year of college and that's when i uh took the time and uh in the off season to actually work with different coaches and stuff on how to run routes and different techniques and stuff like that and uh really when i mastered my craft uh that's kind of how i got to this point
0: was there a coach or a player that really kind of helped open your eyes or was it more like look the NFL is becoming more of a reality? I know you had a few a handful of teammates went on to the NFL. I know uh, the safety Moore uh, was a third round pick. I mean Edo Smith was down there with you guys, right? So, uh what was it that helped you kind of realize, hey, the the NFL is a reality?
1: Um honestly, when when that class left, Edo and uh all of them boys and I was talking to them um after when they got drafted, I think during their first year, um, after talking to them, you know, they was like, it's right around the corner. I'm like, it is. I guess it is right around the corner. <laughs> and, uh, you know, time was kind of ticking down for me. And then uh, I really was talking to Ido. Ido kind of helped me out a lot during um, my my off offseason, um, going into my last season. Kind of helped me out a lot by, you know, mentally and by putting me, setting me up with the right people.
0: Yeah, so you get drafted in the sixth round by the Eagles. You, you get here, obviously, a unique set of circumstances with COVID-19. But uh, you get here to, to uh, the Novacare Complex. Tell me about just the, the guys that you leaned on most here, whether it's players in that room or whether it's assistant coaches. Who are the guys that you've really leaned on over the last six months?
1: Honestly, it's Jalen, Jay Hurts. Uh, Jay I was talking to him because I know I train with him, so I was talking to him a lot. And then um, I met Ray at the Combine. And me and him connected on a different level. And, um, and John, me and John kind of got semi-history. Um, we got we got we got some history together uh, that a lot of people don't know about. But them three guys really, I kind of built around them. Uh, I fed off them. Um, that was the main guys that I kind of opened up to first. And then as the season went on and I started getting closer to people, like being more comfortable, that's when I started opening up more.
0: So what was that history with John? It must be cool just kind of coming in and going through that process with a couple of rookies in that room and say like, look, look uh, they brought us all in to really make an impact. All three of you guys make the fifty-three man roster. Uh, what has that been like? And what was that history with John?
1: Uh, with John, actually, when I was at Southern Miss, my first two years, he was at Hines, and he used to come up okay, to Southern yep. Miss to um, to like watch games, uh, go to parties or whatever, whatever. And you know, it was kind of around each other, but we didn't know each other. So um, when all this came about and we was just talking and kind of related on different sceneries about, we was at the same place at the same time and didn't even know it, didn't even know each other. So uh, that's really kind of how we got history and we just know some of the same people.
0: Gotcha. And then what is it like just kind of coming through this whole process with Jalen, with John, just uh, three rookies in that room and knowing that you guys all bring some extra juice to that offense that certainly showed up on Sunday?
1: Man, we all, all three of us know that um, when the time comes, we can really, we can make a big impact. We can make a huge impact and we can really, we can be the uh, face of the program, honestly.
0: Well, Quez, thanks so much for joining us here on our 101. Congrats on the, the first career touchdown this past Sunday against Arizona. Stay safe, stay healthy. Happy holidays. We'll talk to you soon, man.
1: Thank you. Happy holidays.
0: Well, thanks so much to Quez Watkins and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings here at Eagles Entertainment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week. Raise a glass to that comforting feeling of an Eagles touchdown with the all new Broad and Patterson Wine Collection created in partnership with Wink, featuring a Cabernet, a Rose, and a Chardonnay. Broad and Patterson wines are the perfect pairing for any occasion. Now you can bring the sweet taste of victory with you to a dinner with friends or to the tailgate with your game day crew. Purchase online today at philadelphiaeagles.com wine to stock up and have Broad and Patterson delivered right to your door. A portion of proceeds from every bottle benefit Eagles Autism Foundation.